0: Glad to have each and every one of you here this morning. We have a special Sunday School hour, as you are well aware. Uh, This weekend is our annual World Missions Emphasis weekend, and we're so pleased to have some special guests with us this morning. I'd like to introduce them to you at this point. Dale and Jerusha Losh. We came to know and love them at Dallas Seminary some years ago now, and. they have served the Lord with Crossworld Mission in France for nine years. And then after their ministry in France, the Lord uh, called Dale to be the president of Cross World Mission for Canada for 11 years. And then after that ministry, the Lord uh, called Dale to serve as president of Cross World Worldwide uh, US office. They are humble servants of the Lord They love the Lord, they love the Word of God, they love the people of God, and they love the nations that need Christ. So I'm sure we're going to be greatly blessed. Uh, Dale has written a book. I think he's going to share a bit about that with us in this hour, and uh, he speaks literally all over the world. So we're very honored to have you here, and let's uh, give you a warm Bahamian welcome.
1: I think it was uh, a brother from your church named Paul yesterday who we were driving by, and Pastor Rob uh, turned the window down and called out to him. And, and uh, Pastor Paul said, Welcome home. And uh, Rob, so that's one of the things I love about this place. Or I think it was your wife, actually. So that's one of the things she loves about this place how friendly you are. And uh, it is a, a delight to be with you. Um, I think I have uh, spoken in Rob's uh, church in uh, Canada and now here more than in any other church. I think he must get me to come and speak because he looks better after I'm finished. And you say, boy, we're glad we have Pastor Rob. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's it's a delight to be here with you today. Um, Oswald J. Smith, uh, who was... Uh, well-known missionary, pastor, founder of a a church in Toronto, Canada by the name of People's Church, once said this. He said, no one has the right to hear the Gospel twice while there remains someone who has not heard it once. No one has the right to hear it twice while there remains someone who hasn't heard it once. Now, he said that back in 1928. Uh, At that time, the population of the world stood at about 2 billion. Do you realize that today, out of a population of 7 billion people, there are now roughly 2.8 billion who have never heard it once? There are more people alive today who have never heard it once than there were in the entire world when. The pastor made that statement. In other words, roughly 40% of the world today has still never heard it once. If this room this morning, if this gathering of people were to represent the entire world's population, that would mean that anyone sitting in these uh, uh, six seats, or six seats on this side, not this one row right here, but everybody from here over, 40% of the world, has never heard it once. So I'd like this group to stand up. Everybody except the ones in this last row of seats. Everybody here, just stand up. Just stay standing. So for you, in essence, there is no gospel. You never heard of it. Now, we're also told that 60% of the world's peoples live in places where you cannot get in as a missionary. If I were to apply for a missionary visa to go there, they'd say no. No missionaries allowed. So most of them live in this 40% and then another 20%. So let's say that would take us over to about here. So this row in the inside and this row. You guys all stand up. Okay, so 40% no gospel. 60% of the world has no access unless we change our means of taking the gospel to them and say there's got to be another way than simply sending people with religious workers' visas because you can't send any religious workers to this group of people unless we change our way. They're essentially, in many ways, cut off from the gospel. Now just stay standing. Then they tell us that 84% of Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists have never encountered an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. Most of that, 84% of Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists live in this part of the world. Some of them are scattered through this part of the world. But for all intents and purposes, for them, there's no Jesus. They've never met anybody who claims to be a Jesus follower. Then there's another 30% of the world. So that'd be everybody from here over to about here. So you all stand up. You guys stay seated. No, you stay seated. Right? Yeah, your wife can stand up. Everybody over here another 30% of the world, roughly 2 billion people, predominantly in Europe and North America and the Central Americas, uh, places like the Bahamas, 2 billion people who have heard of Jesus, who probably have heard the gospel, uh, who may have some idea. I mean, my wife and I spent uh, nine years in France, so... The French would be part of this. They're Catholic in name, but for the, the most part, they really have no idea what the gospel is, or if they have any idea, they have no interest. So you've got forty percent no gospel, sixty percent no access, no sixty uh, percent no access, eighty-four percent of Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists know Jesus because they've never met a Jesus follower. Ninety percent who have no idea or no interest. And that leaves this little group over here. So you all can sit down and you all stand up. Okay? Stay standing. This is the 10% of the world, 10% of the world who represent the body of Christ. These folks have heard the gospel. They've understood the gospel. They've embraced the gospel. They would call themselves followers of Jesus. About 700 million in the world today about 10%, one, one-tenth one of the world's population. And we have told you that there are essentially two ways that you can change the reality for this group of people, especially for this 40% who have no gospel or this 60% who have no gospel or no access to the gospel. There's two ways. You can pay or you can pray, but you can't play. In other words, you can't actually go to this part of the world with the gospel. You can just stay in your part of the world and you can pull out your wallet or you can pray, but you can't get in the game unless, unless you're willing to leave behind your 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 career and 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 your, your God-given wiring, whoever you are, whatever your, you, your profession is, unless you're willing to leave that behind. Go back to Bible college and seminary and become a real, full-fledged missionary like me. So you really can't do anything but pay and pray because you don't have a call. I had a call. You don't have a call, so sit down. Yeah, I'm. I'm sit down, sister. Unless, unless you are willing to leave behind country and and comfort and and career and go back and get a real ministry degree like me and like Pastor Rob so that you can be a real full-fledged missionary. And that group of people is about one-tenth of one percent of you folks. That's what we we have sent. One-tenth of one percent of true followers of Jesus to the rest of the world. Well, that would mean I'd have to cut off Probably somebody's hand and throw it to this side because, you know, there are only about 10 of you standing. That would be one person, it'd be 10%. We haven't sent 10%. One tenth of one person would be 1%. We haven't sent one. We haven't sent 1%. We've sent one tenth of 1%. That's, that's been our contribution to this group. And we believe in Cross World that there's a better way, which is why. A few years ago, we wrote this book, A Better Way, Make Disciples Wherever Life Happens. And it's really about two things. It's about unleashing the explosive power of doing what Jesus told us to do, to make a disciple who can make a disciple, who make disciples who make disciples. Unleashing the explosive power of spiritual reproduction and the untapped potential of every believer of everybody in this group, not just one-tenth of 1% of the people in this group, unleashing the the untapped potential of the body of Christ to go to the nations with whatever God has given them. So you don't have to become a full-time religious worker in order to take the Gospel to the nations. We are looking for men and women of, of all professions to say, you know, I work for a company that has offices all over the world. Why don't I go and talk to the vice president of, of, of recruitment or of global, our global work and say the next time there's an opening in Dubai, I would like it if you would consider me for that job. What, what would that look like if the church began to do that instead of only sending people like me, sent people like all of you all over the world to be part of disciple making teams? That's our vision, and our vision is to send disciple-makers from all professions who will bring God's love to life. And what we mean by that is to bring it to where life happens, and most of life for most people happens in the marketplaces of the world. It doesn't happen in this building. So, to bring God's love to life and to bring it to life. In other words, to let them see this abundant life. That's our vision. Disciple makers from all professions who bring God's love to life in the world's least reached marketplaces. And so if you'd like to know more about that, I I, I couldn't put a supply of these books in my suitcase. Uh, Otherwise, I would have. But if you'd like to know more, you can go on Amazon.com. You can buy a hard copy or you can buy an electronic copy or... You know, if there's enough who say, we really want one, we'll we'll ship a box to you. So uh, I I would love for you to read the book, but I didn't come here this weekend to sell books. So uh, if you'd like to know more about what CrossWorld is doing and how God is using people like you, not just to pay and to pray, and thank God there are people who pay and pray, or people like me wouldn't be going, but also to play, to take their gifting to the nations. This morning and... um, then in the second and the third uh, hour this morning and tomorrow evening, I want to talk to you about what it looks like to live and love like Jesus using the unique wiring that God has given you. What does it look like to be in full-time ministry without leaving your job? Wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to turn your full-time job into full-time ministry? I believe that's what God wants. And so I want to start out this morning by talking about this issue of living and loving like Jesus. In uh, his book entitled, Questions I Would Like to Ask God, Rabbi Zacharias says, I have often referenced the quote by talk show host Larry King in in response to a particular question. This was a question. King was asked, if you could select any one person across all of history to interview, who would it be? King said that he'd like to interview Jesus Christ. When the questioner followed up with this question, and what would you like to ask him, this is what King said. He said, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. The answer to that question would define history for me. Interesting question. Larry King, if he had one chance to interview Jesus Christ, would say, were you indeed virgin born? Why? Because he says, the answer to that question would define all of history for me. The incarnation of God, as we have called it, that that act of this eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God, limiting Himself to time-bound earthly human existence is perhaps the most mind-boggling, earth-shattering, history-defining event that this universe has ever seen. Think about it this way. If the Now, I hate to use the President of the United States as an example because that carries with it all kinds of baggage. But just imagine a President of the United States that you looked up to, If the President of the United States were to willingly decide to turn himself into a grub to go and forage in the vast garbage dumps of Sao Paulo, Brazil, in order to be able to identify with the little creatures that subsist on garbage, that would not be nearly so incomprehensible as this eternal, all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful God turning himself into one of us. Or look at it this way. If we were to, con- to convert this all-powerful God into a powerless, helpless human being, it is sort of tantamount to taking the entire nuclear arsenal of the United States and reducing it to a firecracker. And yet the incarnation of Christ was was far more incredible than that. Or look at it this way. To confine confine this everywhere present Creator who exists outside of time, to confine Him to this earthly, space-limited, time-bound existence is only remotely similar to what, what it would be like if you took the sun in all of its strength, and locked it up in the tip of a wooden match. And yet in a single phrase in the Gospel of John, the author, God Himself, captures this incredible, mind-boggling, history-defining, earth-shattering event in eight words. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Incredible that he could actually describe that incredible event in eight words. Larry King is is right. If those eight words... Are true. If Jesus Christ had no human father because God supernaturally implanted Himself in the womb of a virgin named Mary, that event defines all of history. But I would submit to you this morning that the Incarnation not only defines all of history, but that it actually defines for us the very essence of what it means for us to live and to love like Jesus did. I'm not here this morning to convince you or to convince Larry King for that matter that God actually came in the flesh born of a virgin. I think most or all of you believe that, although I think it would do us all well to ponder it anew. But I am here today to call you to a fresh understanding of what it means to follow Jesus in this world. To live like Him. To look like Him. To walk like Him. To love like Him. After all, that is the goal, isn't it? To live and and to love like Jesus. Peter, for example, spoke of Christ in 1 Peter 2.21, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps. Not just so that you could look and say, what an amazing man Jesus was. No, but for you to actually learn to follow in his steps. To learn to live and love and look and, and walk like Jesus. Or Jesus himself said, as the Father sent me into the world, so send I you into the world. Now, what's that supposed to mean? Well, I think at the very least, it It means that we should somehow look something like Jesus in how we go about living in the world. Mahatma Gandhi was the preeminent leader of Indian nationalism in British-ruled India. I know some of you come from that uh, part of the world or maybe your ancestors have come there. Many of you probably know more about what he says than I do. But I am told that he championed nonviolent civil disobedience protesting many forms of injustice in society. He was known as a very humble, pragmatic man who believed that the greatest proof of the validity of one's message was whether he lived it. The greatest proof of the validity of one's message is whether he lived it. And they say that when people would ask him to give a message, he would often say, my life is... My message. The following quote is one that is often attributed to him. Nobody seems to be sure if he actually said these words, but I think he said similar words, if not these ones. And this is what he said. He said of Christianity, he said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ to the extent that that is true, it's a tragedy. Because we have been called to live and to love and to look like Jesus. E. Stanley Jones was a Methodist missionary who lived in India and became close friends with Gandhi. And on one occasion, Jones actually asked Gandhi, what would you, as one of the Hindu leaders of India, tell me a Christian to do in order to see Christianity naturalized in India? And this is what Gandhi said to Pastor Jones. He said, first, I would suggest that all of you Christians, missionaries and all, must begin to live more like Jesus Christ. Ouch. Secondly, he said, practice your religion without adulterating it or toning it down. Imagine a Hindu saying, don't hide your faith. Practice it. Don't tone it down. Don't water it down. Thirdly, he said, emphasize love and make it your working force for love is central. In Christianity. This is a Hindu man who never embraced Jesus Christ himself, who said, I love, I I love the, the the Christ. I don't like Christians. They don't look like they don't they don't live their message. And when they don't live their message, it doesn't validate what they say they believe. Listen to what he says. He says, Live more like Jesus, practice your religion, emphasize love. Love is central in Christianity. Gandhi never personally embraced Jesus Christ, but he sure seemed to understand. What a follower of Jesus should look like. So, what does it mean to live more like Jesus? What does it mean to look like Him? And would it change how people like Larry King or Mahatma Gandhi viewed all of life and history if we were to actually more successfully incarnate Jesus Christ in life today? Is that not what we are called to do? To be living representatives of Jesus Christ? Paul said, do you not know that the Spirit of God lives in you? It's not just like, well, try to be as much like Jesus as you can. No, Paul says He's actually living in me. It's like I am a a walking incarnation of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God lives in you. Again, he says the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. We are called to be this walking incarnation of Jesus Christ. Gandhi was right. Christians should look more like Christ after all, for by biblical definition, a Christian is Jesus dressed in the flesh of His followers. It's Jesus, Spirit, who's dressed in my body. So what does that look like? Well, one of the most powerful pictures of what living and loving like Jesus looks like was graphically portrayed in a story I read a while back about a guy by the name of Samuel Ayrton. Ayrton is a Middle Eastern businessman whose job requires that he do a lot of uh, travel, often in some of the world's most dangerous areas. Sam isn't a particularly uh, religious man, but he's a good man in the sense that he really cares about people. But even though he's a caring man, he sometimes finds himself on the wrong side of the religious fundamentalists who look at people like him and consider that they've basically sold out to secularism and capitalism. Well, one day Ayrton was on a day trip. He was traveling between Jerusalem and the occupied West Bank when he came upon the scene of a man who had been violently assaulted and left for dead on a stretch of road that was known for its high incidence of crime. He identified the man as an Israeli, and though Ayrton himself was a Palestinian and had suffered his share of humiliation at the hands of Israeli authorities, he took the time at great risk to his own life, to administer first aid to the man, he brought him to a hotel where he paid for a room and medical care, leaving the hotel owner a promise that on his return trip, he would pay any of the expenses that had been incurred during his absence. Maybe some of you recognize that story. It's the ancient story known as the Good Samaritan. Now, what Good Sam Samaritan didn't realize that day was that two religious leaders had passed by that same place where the man was lying on the side of the road and pretended like they didn't see him and actually passed by on the other side. So why did Jesus actually tell this story and what does it have to do with what it means to follow him? I'd like us to look at it in its original context. So if you'd like to listen or to follow along in your Bibles, I'm going to read a few verses from Luke chapter 10 leading up to the story of the Good Samaritan, and then talk a little bit about the conclusions that he drew. Luke chapter 10, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 25. This is how the story actually was set in the context. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And we read, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What's written in the law? How does it read? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then we have the story that I just recounted for you, sort of in a modern-day version of the Good Samaritan. And then Jesus concludes it like this in verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This guy had a Larry King moment. He had the chance to interview this this man that everybody was talking about and ask him any question he wanted. And he asked him this one. What, what, what does a person have to do to get to heaven? That's a pretty good question. I think he, he made a good choice on the one question he would ask Jesus. Certainly a lot better than the, um, the clown who in his moment of biblical fame yeah, sh- shouted out above the crowd, hey Jesus, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. That's what he's known for. Kind of a, eh. that wasn't a great thing to say in your moment of biblical fame, but this guy's was good. It's a good question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What's even more impress- impressive is that he actually knew the right answer because Jesus just kind of lobs the question back to him and says, what do you think? How do the Scriptures read to you? And he nails it. He says, love God and love people. Jesus says, bingo! You got it. Do that, and you'll live. Now what came out of the guy's mouth next wasn't quite so brilliant. For faced with the righteous law of God, he should have said something like, "Oh Lord, who could ever love God like that, with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength, with all their mind?" And eh, I don't, I can't love people like that. I need help. But no, that's not what he said. The text says, wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus another question. Now, what does the word justify mean? Do you remember? Justify means to declare righteous. What did he want to do? He wanted to make himself look good. He wanted to declare himself righteous. Like, I'm, I'm a good guy. So he says, you know, Jesus, this, this, this idea of neighbor, that, that's an awful big word. That, 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 that's a lot of people. Could you kind of define neighbor for me? Parse that word for me? So Jesus does. With a story that, that, that made the poor guy choke. For the hero of the story was one of the very people that this guy didn't love. In fact, he hated. You know as well as I do that the Jews could not stand the Samaritans. They wouldn't talk to them. They wouldn't touch them. They wouldn't eat with them. This man was so repulsed by Jesus' answer that when Jesus asked him the closing question, which one of the three showed mercy? Did you notice he couldn't even bring himself to say Samaritan? He didn't say the Samaritan guy. He says, the one who showed mercy. He he, he didn't even want to speak the name of Samaritan. So he says, the one who showed mercy. Now, Jesus wasn't telling this man that he could get to heaven by loving people or by loving God perfectly, he was essentially telling him, you can't get to heaven on your own. You need me. You need to admit that you can't love God like that, that you can't love people like that. But no, the man wanted to make himself righteous. And so he tried to reduce what that means to love your neighbor to something else. Jesus' answer was repulsive, not just because it showed how short of God's righteous standard most religious men on earth fell, but because it made the villain, the hero. Well, for this religious leader, the story ends there. Jesus says, go and do likewise. You Have at it. You want to try and do it yourself? Have at it. And that was the end. The rich guy left, and we never hear from him again. But it wasn't the end of the story for Luke, the author, because look what he says next. Right after that story, You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? It's like there's sort of this four-frame story. In frame one, this man comes up and says, what do I need you to get to heaven? In frame two, Jesus tells him, love God and love people perfectly. And then in frames three and four, he illustrates those two requirements, loving God and loving people, with two stories. The story of a Samaritan man and the story of a Hebrew woman. The story of the Samaritan man illustrates what it looks like to love people. The story of the Hebrew woman illustrates what it looks like to love God. And in both those stories, there's a hero and a villain. And in both those stories, Jesus shocks His listeners by turning the thing on its head and basically making the hero and the villain one in the same. In story number one, the Samaritan, the villain, in the listener's eyes, this Samaritan, the guy he couldn't stand, Jesus made the hero. In the second story, Mary, who was a villain of sorts in her sister's eyes, why don't you tell her to do something? Jesus makes the hero and says she's doing exactly what it looks like to love God. Together, I think they paint a beautiful picture of what it means to live and love like Jesus, to incarnate him for others to see. So what does it take? And what is it that could possibly convince the Larry Kings and the Mahatma gandhis of the world that Jesus does, in fact, define all of history? I'd like to leave you just with two simple applicational thoughts as to what it looks like, what it takes to live and to love like Jesus. Number one, you got to sit with Jesus. you got to sit with Jesus. you got to slow down, stop what you're doing, sit at His feet, drink in His Word, love Him, spend time with Him. Too many Christians, I think, in my experience, look way too much like Sister Martha. And it doesn't even bother us. In fact, if you're like me and you look at those two ladies, a lot of us think, well, (laughs) I think she had a point. Jesus didn't think she had a point. We've probably met people like Martha. Maybe we have been people like them. Worried and bothered, Jesus describes her. Miserably serving Jesus and in the process, hurting the name of Jesus and hurting other people. One author writes, how many people are radically and permanently repelled from the way by Christians who are unfeeling, stiff, unapproachable, boringly lifeless, obsessive, and dissatisfied? Spirituality, wrongly understood or pursued, is a major source of human misery and rebellion against God. He was talking about ladies like Martha who can turn people away from God because of how they understand living and loving like Jesus should look like. And it's all about do, 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 do. And be miserable while you're doing it. If we want to have rivers of living water flowing out of our innermost being like Jesus talked about, we need a drink at the spring. Regularly. We need to sit at Jesus' feet. We need to drink in His Word if the Spirit of God is to flow from our innermost being. You know, when it comes to knowing and loving Jesus, your pastoral team here does not have a corner on spirituality. You know that? They are not the only 12 guys in this church who are called on to love this book and to feed their hearts on it every day. You know, people say, Well, you know, I'm, I'm not much of a reader. I don't care if you're not much of a reader. Get your eight year old to read it to you if you're not much of a reader. Get it on your phone and listen to it while you're driving. There are so many ways to feed your heart and your mind with the Word of God. There is no excuse. Do you know, you know this, but I don't think we, we realize that we are such a blessed generation. We of all generations who have lived on this earth are the one of the only ones who has ever had personal copies of this book in our possession. It's only existed in, in written form for about 500 years, and it's only actually been so abundantly available to us in the West for like about the last 100, maybe 150 years, that we could actually each have our own copy, and many of you have two or three or four or five copies of it. There are still places in the world where they can't get a copy of this. There are still places in the world where if they were found with a single page from this book, they would get thrown in prison or killed. And yet we have the privilege of having the Word of God plentifully and freely available to us and we need daily to be sitting at His feet and drinking in His Word. You want to live and love like Jesus? That's where it starts. Sit at His feet and drink in His Word. Secondly, Not only do you have to sit with Jesus, you have to hang with sinners. Sit at His feet and drink in His Word, then hang with sinners and pour out His love. I heard you did that a few weeks ago. I don't remember if it was last week or a few weeks ago when you went down into one of the communities in your neighborhood here and hung with people who need Jesus. That's what it looks like. But not not only once a year but actually in some kind of an ongoing way to hang with sinners. I don't mean you have to hang in poor communities all the time, but hang with people who don't know Jesus. People you work with. People who live next door to you. People in a neighborhood like that that may never get a chance. We have got to be willing to cross to the other side of the road if people are ever going to get a real look at what Jesus looks like. They will never know what Jesus looks like if the closest view they get is from the far side of the street. I don't know if you have church leagues down here in the U.S., you know, it's common to have a church baseball league or, you know, whatever, church football league go join a church baseball league. Go join a community baseball league. You know why? Why play baseball with a bunch of Christians where you have one token non-Christian on the team? Go play baseball where you've got a whole bunch of non-Christians and you're the one Christian on the team. Hang with sinners. Jenny was driving through inner city neighborhood where she and her husband live when she saw a group of three guys harassing a woman who was stumbling to try to get away from them what would you do in her place at that moment inner city america must have looked a lot like that road to jericho well this is what jenny did she slowed down she looked at the men to get eye contact in order to say i see what you're doing and she said when i looked in their eyes i could see hatred she said, almost before my car, I got my car to a stop, the woman ran across, opened the door, jumped in, and we drove away. This woman had no safe place to go, and it wasn't the first time that these three guys had beat on her. She was thirsty, hungry, hurting, fearing for her life, and desperately in need of sleep. So, Jen took her home. Like any of us would have done, right? Eh. Yeah not so sure. Before falling asleep on their couch, the woman told Jen and her husband that she was addicted to cocaine and meth, hadn't slept in days, and she asked them to wake her before 11 p.m. because she had to go back out to work the streets. So they fed her, prayed with her, washed her face, and then when 11 o'clock p.m. rolled around, she didn't wake up. So they decided to let her stay the night which meant each of them taking turns all night long sitting by her bed and listening to her cry out in her sleep in the morning she asked if they could help her find a shelter where she could get treatment for her addictions but it was the weekend and after four hours of trying with no success nobody would take her in she asked to be taken back to the very place where Jen had found her the day before so they dropped her off with a bag of food and toiletries their phone number and lots of prayer and then they went home and wept much like I think Jesus might have done if he had been walking the streets of Dallas Texas that particular day why does that story seem so foreign to the experience of most followers of Jesus I admit it it, it's, it just is so foreign to me why is that I'll tell you why it is for me Because hanging with sinners makes me very uncomfortable. They might get my couch dirty. They might ruin my night's sleep. They might actually call me if I give them their phone number. They might actually want me to do something the one night a week that I've reserved as family night. You see, hanging with sinners... Is difficult. It is messy. It's inconvenient. It's time-consuming. Sometimes it's even dangerous. But I cannot escape the clear testimony of Scripture that following Jesus means hanging with sinners. You want to live and love like Jesus? You want to impact the world? You want to get in the game as the theme of this weekend is? Sit with Jesus. Hang with sinners. Pastor... Bob Roberts, pastor of Northwood Church in Fort Worth, Texas, says this, I believe wherever hell is breaking loose is God's way of saying to His people, the people who love Him and want to follow Him, over here, where all hell is breaking loose, Jesus should always be present through the church. Do you want to know why one-third of the world, 40% of people have never once even heard that there's a gospel? Or why nine out of ten people either have no gospel, no access, no idea of Jesus, or no interest? I believe a lot of the reason for that is because they have never seen Jesus on their side of the road. They may have seen Him on the other side of the road, but they can't really tell what He's like on the other side of the road. And He doesn't look very loving on the other side of the road. Larry King will never have a chance to interview Jesus the King. At least not in this life. He won't. But you know, he really shouldn't have to. For the King of the universe had a plan to leave in his wake this vast army of followers who look so much like Him that simply by looking at them, the Larry Kings... And the Mahatma Gandhis of the world would have the answer to their question. The word became flesh and dwelt among us is far more than a theological statement, isn't it? It is our model and it is our mandate, and it is impossible. It is impossible to live and love like Jesus. It is as impossible today as it was when that rich man thought he could do it. And just as Jesus wanted him to admit his utter inability and to throw himself on the mercy of God and to say, I need you, so today it's the same thing. But the difference today is that we have the Spirit living in us. We have the the written Word of God. We have everything we need to live in love like Jesus if we will learn to do it in Him, to abide in Him. Will you come to Him today again and tomorrow again and again and again and again? Will you admit that apart from Him, you really can do nothing, but with Him, you can change the world one person at a time?